It's Unrelated Things. Greetings and welcome to Unrelated Things, the podcast where I just talk about whatever the heck I want to talk about. Stories that I've seen recently, uh, pretty much exclusively online. That's where most of my news comes from these days. Though I might pull in a a, a real life story, you know, one of those real world uh, occurrences uh, sprinkled in among the stories that I share from you that I found online. Stories that just uh, inspired me or ired me. Uh, You can reach out to me. You can send me a message at unrelatedthings at gmail.com. You can find everything, including all the other podcasts I do, over at unrelatedthings.net. First up is a story from Boing Boing. Boing Boing is at boingboing.net. They're one of the more common sources of the stories I share. This one is written by David Peskovitz. The real ass man was denied his personalized license plate. In another example of life imitating Seinfeld, Melville, Saskatchewan citizen Dave Assman, pronounced Osman, yeah, sure, applied for a personalized license plate of his last name. But the Saskatchewan government insurance, like the DMV, put the kibosh on the request and also his appeal. So Assman, I mean Osman, created a large decal inspired by the Saskatchewan plate design and slapped it on the rear end of his truck. Based on the SGI's Twitter post below, they seem to be okay with that. Quote, it's just a name and censorship should be out the window, Osman said. It upsets me, but I'm not Oh, but I'm not one of those guys to take offense to it. No, he's not taking offense to it, but he is replicating the design of the license plate in two foot tall uh, letters across the back of the uh, tailgate on his pickup truck. It looks quite good, actually. Uh, he's got a white pickup truck and the lettering on the license plate is uh, dark green with a white background. It has uh, the Saskatchewan name at the top. All the typefaces are similar to the license plate and even has the slogan of the uh, province, Land of Living Skies, at the bottom. Uh, So well done, Mr. Osman if that really is how you pronounce your name. Next story is also from boingboing.net. This is written by Carla Sinclair. Bank robber gets away until he slips and spills his cash right in front of a police officer. A gentleman robbed a bank and was about to make a clean getaway until he slipped on ice and spilled his stolen cash right in front of a police officer. Come on. I mean, it's fun. It's, I'm really glad there's enough dumb criminals out there that provide us with a lot of stories to talk about and a lot of uh, antics to laugh at. But seriously, if you're going to rob a bank, make sure that your, your getaway path is free and clear of ice. Bring some salt ahead of time. Salt that thing down. Wait an hour or so. And then you're good to go. Prepare. Be prepared. You can't just walk into a bank and rob it. You need to be prepared for those things. 
Like a skit from a vaudeville show, the bank robber held up Banger Savings Bank in Maine. Oh, good in Maine. I used to live Maine adjacent. I was in a town in New Hampshire that bordered Maine. Uh, this is in Banger Savings, uh, Banger Savings Bank in Maine on Tuesday and then made a clumsy run for it. Things were going well until dumb bad luck got in the way. All right, no excuse. I totally understand, you know, if you're from, you know, maybe South Carolina and there's a freak ice storm and you don't know, you're not very familiar, you don't have a lot of skill walking on ice and you slip and fall on ice. If you are from Maine, you should be able to run on ice. It is a requirement. Not only are they going to put you in jail for robbing the bank, they're going to kick you out of Maine for not being able to walk on ice. Via centralmaine.com. He ran across four lanes of traffic on Main Street and got into the Ming Lee restaurant parking lot, slipped on ice, and found himself face-to-face -face with a special agent for the Maine State Police Computer Crimes Task Force who just happened to be parked in the right place at the right time. Quote, when he fell, the money and the gun he had stashed in his jacket, this gets funnier, the money and the gun he had stashed in his jacket pocket spilled onto the parking lot, and the money was swept across the parking lot by the wind, police chief Joseph Massey said later. Quote, members of the public tried to scoop it up. All right, good job. That's If you're going to rob a bank and you're going to slip and fall on the ice, at least you threw the money all over the place, scattered it all over the place, and the wind blew it so that people who might really need it, or even people who don't, but people could, who could use it, are able to pick it up. Good job. Okay, that's a redeeming, redeeming quality. You partially redeemed yourself. The robber's gun, thought at first to be a handgun, was actually a BB gun. Already on probation for burglary, he was arrested, quote, on charges of robbery. I don't think there's there's laws against stupidity, uh, or he may have been arrested and charged with both crimes. And this is a story from iHeart Radio. This is written by R. J. Johnson. New Jersey woman accused of burglary flips the bird at police in mugshot. And they do have a picture of the mugshot in this story, but they've blurred out the the hands. I don't know that much about iHeartRadio, but if you're going to have a story about a woman's mugshot in which she's given the double bird to the photographer at the police station, show the picture. You don't need to blur it out. It's not necessary. An Old Bridge, New Jersey woman has been charged with breaking into multiple cars in Spotswood, but her defiant mugshot, but it is her defiant mugshot that will have people talking. According to Spotswood police, authorities have been receiving, quote, numerous reports over the last few months of cars being broken into on Janice Drive. One resident captured video of the suspect trying to break into her car on January 13 and again on January 27. Then on Friday, February 1st, a Spotswood police officer spotted the woman pictured in the surveillance video walking onto a resident's driveway. The patrolman stopped her and identified her. And I'm not going to tell you her name. It's not important. Uh, police found a number of, quote, burglary tools on her. 
During an investigation, she was found to be in possession of numerous burglary tools, including a screwdriver, hammer, and the same flashlight seen on surveillance video. Wait a minute. She had a screwdriver and she had a hammer and a flashlight. Those are not burglary tools. Those are tools. I was a carpenter for more than 20 years and I used those tools all the time. I never burgled with them. Of course, you can burgle with them if you want. You can burgle with a pry bar. You can burgle with a sledgehammer. You can burgle with a hacksaw. But those aren't burglary tools. Lockpick, that's getting closer. Lockpicks, you know, have uh, one primary function to pick a lock, to get into something that is locked that yet most likely you're not supposed to get into. That's a burglary tool. Uh, maybe... Maybe something that can disable video cameras it could be a burglary tool. I guess a hammer can do that too. Anyway, uh, those were the quote-unquote burglary tools that she had. As you can see in the mugshot where she's flipping the double birds, Hillsman, oh damn, I said her name, wasn't happy about being arrested and threw up the double bird for the camera when police took her photo. She was charged with burglary, criminal trespass, and possession of burglary tools. Um, I hope she beats the possession of burglary tools uh, rap. I mean, I could, I can understand maybe some something if they actually saw her breaking something with her hammer or with her screwdriver. Maybe they have that on video. Um, then, uh, then maybe some kind of charge like that will stick, but those are not it should not be illegal to carry a hammer and a screwdriver. Court records show that she was convicted of burglary last year and sentenced to three years of probation, which she clearly has failed. So uh, before I recorded this show today, I was looking for some music. Um, for my other podcast, trying to determine what songs I'm going to play. My other podcast is called Polyrical, which in which I play political music and talk, usually talk about a, an issue or two uh, during the course of that show. So I was trying to determine, um, you know, who's going to be the featured artist on my next episode of Polyrical. So I went looking and just browsing around iTunes and I came across a compilation album. I don't remember even what the compilation album was that I came across. But on that album was... Let's see. Who was it? Of course, I can't remember her name. I've got to look it up. Was um, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Um, so there was a song by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. So I went and took a little deep dive into her music. And here's a tiny little taste in the background. Um, and found some songs. So uh, unless something changes for me, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings are going to be the featured artist on the next episode of Polyrical. But that brought me down a bit of a rabbit hole. And um, when I was uh, looking at her record, her artist, her artist, when I was looking at her music on iTunes, I also noticed, hey, there's a couple podcasts that she was on. 
And that led me to discover a podcast called Ginger Ann's Jam Bands Podcast by Ginger Ann. And I uh, looked through the back episodes there. And there's a couple of um, kind of politically focused episodes. It's not certainly not a necessarily a political podcast, but not afraid to talk about uh, political um, events or political ideas. There's a, a so I, I started to listen to the uh, Ginger Ann's Jam Bands podcast on voting. It had music by Little Steven. It had music by The Clash really good episode. I didn't get all the way through. I got about halfway through before I got distracted by something else. But certainly one I'm going to go back, circle back and check out. Well, that led me to look for other artists and look at other podcasts that they might be on. I stumbled across or came across a podcast called Safe for Democracy. Um, and these others I haven't really listened to, but I bookmarked them to come back to later and see what they're all about. There's a podcast I came across also called uh, The Most Patriotic Podcast, um, which looks like kind of a chat and politics podcast. There's a podcast called Music Makers and Soul Shakers. It has a lot of interviews with some great artists. And then I came across this podcast. What is this podcast called? Am I going to be able to find it? Yeah, this should open it up. Um, so I came across a podcast episode. Uh, this podcast is called Thanks for Giving a Damn by Otis Gibbs. And I had searched for Utah Phillips. And that's what brought me to this podcast. I actually listened to the episode in which Otis Gibbs talks to Duncan Phillips, uh, Utah Phillips' son, about Utah and about his legacy. And that brought me to the website um, for Utah Phillips, which is called The Long Memory. So you can go to thelongmemory.com. You can find out all about Utah Phillips. Utah Phillips is one of my favorite artists of all time. He is a uh, fantastic um, folk musician, artist, uh, storyteller, and at least as I became to know him in his later years, uh, one of the best uh, curmudgeons ever that ever lived um he's an old school wobbly and sang and spoke eloquently at times humorously most of the time about uh labor about peace about activism about personal responsibility um absolutely an incredible incredible person uh, that we lost too soon. But fortunately, we, we lost him in his, in his body, in his mind, and we lost the opportunity for, for him to create more and for us to uh, hear and experience more. But we didn't lose his legacy. 
He recorded several albums. He recorded his own radio program. Um, his radio program was called Loafer's Glory. And you can listen to episodes 1 to 100 of Loafer's Glory on the website The Long Memory. And I'm going to drop in an excerpt from episode one of Loafer's Glory so you can have a little taste. This is, it's, it's stories, it's observations, it's um, opinion, it is music by uh, what I think is one of the finest curators of that material that we have ever had. Loafer's Glory, the Hobo Jungle of the Mind. We walked down the little roads in Cumberland and stooped because the sky hung down so low. We went by little rivers in a land just big enough and no place that we went was far. The earth and the sky hung close and near, and the old hunger returned, the obscure and terrible hunger that haunts and hurts Americans, makes us exiles in our own land, strangers wherever we go. Well, I will go up and down the country and back and forth across the country. I will go out west for the states are square. I will go to Boise, Helena, Albuquerque, the two Dakotas, all the unknown places. Say, brother, have you heard the thunder of the fast express? Have you seen starlight on the rails? This is Utah Phillips, and this is Loafer's Glory, the Hobo Jungle of the Mind, a brand new idea for me. You know, at home I have a thousand field-recorded tapes collected over the years, an enormous pile of long-playing records, stacks of poetry, mouthful of words that, since I can't travel very much anymore owing to a heart condition, I'm going to try to purvey over the people's airwaves. I look forward to that very much, trying to do on the radio, what I had been accustomed to doing on the stage. My mentor on the rails was the great roadmaster from Portland, Oregon, a prodigiously great tramp. And I do mean a tramp. Like Ben Reitman said in San Diego many years ago, a hobo works and wanders, a tramp dreams and wanders, a bum drinks and wanders. Tramps are the intelligentsia of the traveling nation, conscientious malingerers, you might say. 
suits me fine. A roadmaster, he was the best of me. He taught me things enduringly true. He taught me how to put rubber pockets in my pants so I can steal soup. His every utterance fraught with philosophy. He said to me, doesn't matter how you get there if you don't know where you're going. But the truest of the true, Roadmaster said to me, and you pay attention to this, he said, never own anything you have to feed or paint. Now get that tattooed on the inside of your eyelids so you see it every time you blink. That's wisdom. Well, old Roadmaster is, alas, no longer winning among us. He bought the whole farm, committed suicide. A lot of these old tramps don't want to be thrown on public sufferance in the charity ward of a hospital, so they take their own lives. The usual tramp method for suicide is called a robicide or death by exercise. But Roadmaster was bound to the railroad. It was his whole life. But the door is too high, the train's too fast. He was too old to catch on. He went out and laid down on the Amtrak line, starved to death. Listen to a song now that I made up for my older boy, Duncan. He lived down in Dallas, Texas. When he was a little kid, though, I despaired of him ever having a chance to ride on one of the great trains. It's a song I made for him called Daddy, What's a Train? Daddy, what's a train? Is it something I can ride? Does it carry lots of grown-up folks and little kids inside? Is it bigger than our house? Well, how can I explain when my little boy asked me, Daddy, what's a train? When I was just a boy, living by the track, us kids that gather up the coal in a big old gunny sack. Then we heard the warning sound as the train pulled into view. The engineer had smile and wave as she went rolling through. She blew so loud and clear, we had to cover up our ears. And we counted cars just as high as we could go. I can almost hear the steam and the big old driver scream. With a sound my little boy will never know. Daddy, what's a train? Is it something I can ride? Does it carry lots of grown-up folks and little kids inside? Is it bigger than our house? Well, how can I explain when my little boy asked me, Daddy, what's a train? I guess the times have changed. Kids are different now. Some don't even seem to know that milk comes from a cow. My little boy can tell the names of all the baseball stars. I remember how he memorized the names on railroad cars. The Wabash and the TP, Lackawanna and the IC. Yeah, the nickel plate, the good old Santa Fe. Just names out of the past, I guess they're fading fast. Every time I hear my little boy say, Daddy, what's a train? Is it something I can ride? Does it carry lots of grown-up folks and little kids inside? Is it bigger than our house? Well, how can I explain when my little boy asks me, Daddy, what's a train? We climbed into the car and drove down into town. Right up to the depot house, but no one was around. We searched the yard together for something I could show. But I knew there hadn't been a train for a dozen years or so. All the things I did when I was just a kid. How far away those old memories appear. 
I guess it's plain to see they still mean a lot to me because my ambition was to be an engineer. Daddy, what's the train? Is it something I can ride? Does it carry lots of grown-up folks and little kids inside? Is it bigger than our house? Well, how can I explain when my little boy asked me, Daddy, what's the train? And that was the opening of episode one of Loafer's Glory, a radio program uh, put together by Utah Phillips. Uh, there are, as I mentioned, 100 episodes of that online at thelongmemory.com where you can check them out. They are all, I haven't listened to them all. I don't need to listen to them all. They are all amazing. They have uh, some titles and subjects such as busking, making an honest living, working the streets, tramping life on the open road with the true and trembling tramp. Uh, Radicalism from Korea to the trains to Joe Hill House to radio. These are stories that Utah has lived and collected over the years. Utah songs and tales about my home state from one who climbed over the wall and escaped. War and Peace, what it means to be a pacifist, songs, stories, and ideas about war and peace. This is good stuff. These are gems. I am so incredibly grateful for Utah Phillips. Utah Phillips was born in 1935. He died more than 10 years ago now in 2008. I remember when it happened Uh, this is from Utah Phillips, this quote, yes, the long memory is the most radical idea in this country. It is the loss of that long memory, which deprives our people of that connective flow of thoughts and events that clarifies our vision, not of where we going, not of where we're going, but where we want to go. So check out Utah Phillips, check out thelongmemory.com, listen to Loafer's Glory, listen to his recorded music and albums, which also include a lot of these stories as well. I don't think you'll be disappointed. This next piece is from munchies.vice.com. Woman silently trashes entire convenience store, then calmly gets in line to buy Pringles. Uh, and there's a, an image at the head of this story, which is not from the convenience store that the woman trashed. It is of a store that is quite trashed, but is uh, not really the, the right store. Um, so here's, here's what the story says. Hold on. Let me see if there's an author. Uh, Somewhere. Yep, by Jessica Castrodale. And after all the obstacles, it's good to see you now with someone else. You sing to yourself while we walk through a New Jersey convenience store, debating which flavor of Pop-Tarts are the closest to being keto. Quote, and it's such a miracle that you and me are still good friends after all that we've been through. No, I'm sorry, I'm not going to sing it. 
You caught yourself before you started thinking about Ryan again, about how you'd look at each other, you know, before that fucking summer happened. When you hear a crash somewhere in the back of the store, you walk to the end of the aisle just in time to see several bottles of soda bounce once, twice, before rolling across the checkered floor. You hear a man yell, hey, and you watch a woman with dark hair in a dark coat, calmly pushing the contents of an entire shelf onto the ground. She stops when she reaches the ketchup, then steps over the mess and walks towards the cash register. I know we're cool, Gwen Stefani insists from the overhead speakers. I know we're cool. This could have been you on Friday morning as this as yet unidentified woman single-handedly trashed the quick check in Harrison, New Jersey, seemingly for no reason other than it was Friday morning and she was in Harrison, New Jersey. Following her destructive rampage through the aisles as the store's other customers stood in stunned silence, she put a can of Pringles and a bottle of vitamin water on the counter, then threw several five-hour energy shots backwards over her head. She continued to act like she hadn't just completely fucked up the place and pulled a credit card out of her wallet while she waited to pay for her snacks. Nobody knew how to respond. She impatiently leaned on the counter, but either no one was at the register or no one wanted to be at the register at that moment. So she ultimately left her stuff behind and walked out to her car. In the video, she doesn't appear to have spoken one word. Employees in green aprons and customers with their cell phones in their hands stopped briefly at the door before following her outside. The plate, the plate, the plate, a woman suggests as they start to photograph the front of her black Kia wagon. She's probably going to run somebody over, someone said, as she peeled out of the parking lot, cutting off an oncoming car. Half a dozen car horns sounded as her taillights disappeared from view. Whether or not she's caught, a quick check worker still had to clean up after her. Yeah, there's a video of this in the story. Once again, this is on munchies.vice.com. It's by Jessica Castrodale. And it is titled, Woman Silently Trashes Entire Convenience Store, Then Calmly Gets in Line to Buy Pringles. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and I work in retail. And this is just an uh, insane situation. Um, you know, rational people don't do this. So I don't know if she's ever been caught. I know they clearly have some very good video evidence, um, including her car. And so I don't think it would be particularly difficult to track her down. Um, but uh, would would like to just know what was going through her head. What, what led her to take these awful uh, destructive actions and, and really just piss on the people that work in that store to have to clean up after her. Um, that's, that's the worst part. The, you know, the stuff is stuff. It's, it's mostly crap. It's, it's, you know, uh, food, convenience store food, uh, packaged food on the shelves. Um, who cares? It's, it's not important, but it's, it's the people that, have to work there, they have to maintain that, they have to clean up after an asshole like this goes in and does something just incredibly bizarre and stupid.
Next up is a piece from boingboing.net. This is written by Rob Bashiza. Amazing extra virgin olive oil labeling scam. And this largely uh, revolves around the image that's in the story. So we'll see if, how well it describes what is on the site. Mr. Consumer specializes in spotting packaging tricks such as mouse print, small low contrast or otherwise obscured text designed to fool the consumer into thinking a product is something it is not. He spotted this very bland, normal-looking bottle of olive oil available at Target. It's just olive oil, right? It says right there that it's extra virgin olive oil. Look closer with a child's perfect eyes. And when you look closely, uh, and I think I might describe this a little later, yeah, extra virgin olive oil is in conspicuous gold lettering that is prominent to the eye. By contrast, the sunflower oil disclosure is in black typeset that blends into the dark green background and will be re readily missed once the more ostentatious olive oil disclosure catches the hurried shopper's eye. So how does the company get away with such a label so seemingly deceptive? No one had gone after them until last month. A New York law firm just filed a class action lawsuit against the company, alleging that its label is violating the deceptive practice consumer protection laws of all 50 states. It is, it is really crazy. It is, uh, the brand on the label is called Iberia. It says premium blend has an image of some olive, uh, olive fields in Tuscany or somewhere. And right below that is a big dark green box in the center of that box in, uh, bright yellow gold lettering it says extra virgin olive oil and underneath that in white lettering it has 68 fluid ounces 2000 milliliters but hidden in dark print on the dark background above where it says extra virgin olive oil it says sunflower oil and but you don't at a glance you don't see sunflower oil and you see premium blend extra virgin olive oil. Uh, so it is incredibly deceptive. And the story just wraps up. In any case, much supermarket olive oil is reportedly fake, even when it is honestly labeled. So uh, read the labels. Read the labels closely if you are concerned about what exactly it is that you are getting for your money. Next piece is from ArkansasOnline.com by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. This is written by Serena McKay. Starting today, Walmart Inc.'s hourly workers will be able to use banked paid time off for unexpected absences without incurring a penalty. The Bentonville retailer said in a news release Friday that the new policy, called Protected PTO, was based on feedback from employees who wanted more flexibility 
to deal with unforeseen events. Previously, the company said any unscheduled absence from work, even though covered by paid time off, would in most cases result in a mark on the employee's attendance record. After nine such absences, the worker would be fired. And this should be against the law. Their former policy should be against the law. If you provide paid time off, sick time for employees, and many states and cities require that all employees get or earn paid time off, sick time in particular, you can't penalize the employee for using it. It's a benefit. It's a benefit that either you've put in place because you're forced to by law or because you've put in place because you want to be a generous employer. I, I don't think that's the case in Walmart in particular. I, I handle this stuff at work. I, I, I help manage a system that manages paid time off for the company I work for. And, you know, we have an attendance policy and that system manages the attendance policy, but use of paid time off automatically removes penalty points from attendance. It, it's, it's, it's unfathomable to me that a company would set up their system differently than that, would say, oh, sure, you, you have paid time off. You can be sick and you can still be paid for it. But if you are, it's an, attend- it's an attendance infraction. That's that's absolutely absurd. Then no then the only the only reason to do that is to prevent people from taking their earned sick time. There should absolutely be a law against it. Unfortunately, in most places, in most states and most cities in the United States, there's no laws whatsoever about uh, sick time in particular for employees. There's probably about uh, ten or so states that have those requirements and 40 that don't. Under the new policy, covered absences won't affect an employee's attendance record. Workers can bank up to 48 hours of paid time off, the equivalent of six full-time shifts in a year, and any unused time will roll over to the next year. No previous approval is required to take the accumulated time off. Walmart is 1.1 million hourly workers nationwide. All will start off with a clean attendance slate beginning today. Well, at least when they rectified the horrendous uh, state of their policy, they did a reset of all employees, um, which is probably the only uh, or the only redeeming quality about them having to set this new policy. Some states and cities across the country have enacted laws requiring companies to offer paid sick leave. So Walmart workers in those areas already have the benefit. The new policy will ensure that employees company-wide are covered. However, laws vary somewhat and a few jurisdictions don't allow a cap such as Walmart's 48 hours. In those areas, Walmart spokesman 
Justin Rushing said the company must comply with local law. According to the National Conference of States Legislatures, 10 states, hey, I knew that off, I didn't know that. I guessed that off the top of my head. 10 states require employees to provide paid sick time. Arizona, California, Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington, and Washington, D.C. also requires the benefit. Along with the new time off policy, Walmart will begin rewarding hourly workers who have perfect attendance records. They'll receive an additional 25% on the quarterly cash bonuses that are awarded based on the performance of their stores. Drew Holler, Bryce, okay. That's all well and good. As long as, and I guess, I guess it's part of the, part of the policy is that if you use PTO, you no longer get an attendance, an attendance demerit or whatever infraction. Um, so that means if you only use PTO for sick time, then you will get no attendance infractions and you will be eligible for the 25% bonus on the quarterly cash or the 25% increase on the quarterly cash bonus. That's a good thing. Drew Holler, Vice President of Associated Experience, uh, Vice President of Associate Experience for Walmart's U.S. Division, said the release that more said in the release that more than 300,000 hourly workers have quote spotless attendance records. Those employees will get their bonuses in May, Rushing said. Well, everyone has a spotless record when you do your reset. So going forward, uh, there should be many, many more people getting those bonuses. The goal is a new paid time off and reward for attendance policy is, quote, delivering a more consistent experience for customers and rewarding Walmart's most dependent associates, Walmart release said. These changes are based directly on feedback from associates who wanted more flexibility when life happens, while also being rewarded for consistently showing up to work and serving our customers. That's what everybody wants. Everybody wants good working conditions. It's what everybody wants and everyone deserves. All right, next up is back at boingboing.net by, uh, once again, by Rob Bashiza. Tasteful suburban real estate listing has tasteful sex dungeon. And this is another story where the pictures or picture, there's a single one, speak louder than the text. Not what you'd expect, but what you'd hope for. A sex dungeon in a tasteful suburban off-white with traditional colonial woodwork and easy-wipe faux marble flooring. Since the time of the posting, Redfin has removed the pictures of the basement from the listing. Did I miss some text? No. Uh, in addition to being listed at $750,000, the home is apparently available, quote, as an Airbnb rental at Mansion XS, that gets $750 a night on weekdays and $2,000 a night on weekends for private parties or entertainment. And indeed, the presentation in the Airbnb listing is decidedly more sultry. Well, let's take a look and see if it's still there and how it's described. And if this website will load, then... I'll be able to let you know. MXS Just Be You Adult Fantasy Retreat. 
Uh, this says entire villa. I don't think this is the same location. A privately secluded three-level, 4,000-square-foot exquisite showpiece loaded, located 15 miles outside of Philadelphia. Provides a cozy and warm experience or something a little more exciting. MXS is designed to appeal to your own personal mood. MXS's private adult wing includes furniture suitable for any of your desires. If you're into BDSM or not, MXS wants you to just be you. When hosting private parties, demonstrations, or just a retreat. When in Philly, think MXS. Find us on IG. Other things to note, private wing available for short-term stay at a discounted rate. Please message us for details. MXS is equipped with exterior surveillance for the safety and security of MXS, its guests, and neighbors. Oh, but be aware, there is no carbon monoxide detector. Though there's a gym, a kitchen, and free parking on-premises, and Wi-Fi are all available. Let's see, let's see. Do you have... You have a map. House rules is blank. Uh, do you have a price? Did I miss it? Oh, $750 per night. There it is. $750 per night. So, uh, there you go. And apparently also up for sale. Um, uh, for $750,000, you can buy it outright. And let's see what's next. Okay, I think, nope, we're not there yet. I thought we we're getting, I think we're getting close to the end, but a uh, couple more stories left before we get there. This one is from foxnews.com. That, that was accidental, but maybe subconsciously not accidental foxnews.com by lucas michelionis second democrat invites former illegal immigrant who worked for trump to state of the union a former illegal immigrant who worked at president trump's national golf club in bedminster new jersey as a housekeeper will attend the state of the union address next week following the invitation from a California Democrat. If you want to hear more about all of the undocumented workers that Trump used to build and support his National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, you can check out my other podcast, Bernie 2020. It's at bernie-2020.com or you can go to unrelatedthings.net and follow a link. Uh, and my most recent episode um, read a portion of a story that was in one of the major newspapers. I can't, I can't think of which one off the top of my head. But of the, the many uh, undocumented workers who came to New Jersey to help build that golf club and who some of whom are still working there, although maybe not still working there as the Trump organization has fired, I think, in the neighborhood of a couple dozen employees who were still working for them 
that were not, did not have the proper documents to work in the U.S. Representative Jimmy Gomez invited Sandra Diaz, an employee of Trump's business between 2010 and 2013. The invitation came just days after a Democrat from New Jersey, also a Democrat from New Jersey. They didn't even, did they not even identify who that is? Maybe, maybe further down, but I don't see it. Uh, the invitation came just days after a Democrat from New Jersey also invited an illegal immigrant who worked on the golf property for five years before she was fired. Quote, it's no small feat for a migrant from Costa Rica to stand up to a bully and hypocrite in the White House, Gomez said in a statement. She is living proof that President Trump couldn't be more wrong, both morally and factually, when he demonizes those who come to America seeking a better life. Since leaving the job at the golf property, Diaz has become a legal resident of the U.S. Last year, she spoke out about her experience working for Trump and claimed she took care of Trump's personal residence and had even occasional interactions with him. She told the New York Times that her supervisors knew she was illegally in the country and forced her to perform certain jobs that she didn't want. They also allegedly abused her verbally and physically and threatened her with deportation. Quote, apparently the Trump organization had no problem with hiring undocumented immigrants like Sandra to polish their golf clubs, serve them drinks, and make their beds. Treating these hardworking people with dignity, however, was clearly a bridge too far, Gomez added in his statement. Representative Bonnie Watson Coleman, a New Jersey Democrat, announced on Wednesday that she extended the invitation to the State of the Union address to Victorina Morales, a Guatemalan-born woman who was fired from the golf property where she worked as a housekeeper for five years. The woman who is, who's an illegal immigrant has since become an advocate for other illegal immigrants in the country. She recently spoke out in the media about the Trump Organization's hiring practices. And uh, it's, it's an outrage. All these illegals sneak into our country. They build our golf courses. They wash our dishes. They wash our sheets. They clean up after us. They mow our lawns. They uh, cook us food. It's, I, I, don't, I don't know how we're surviving I think, for now, enough said. All right, and this will wrap up this episode. Uh, once again, from BowlingBowling.net, a story written by David Peskovitz. A fellow who had walked into an abandoned home in Houston, Texas, to smoke weed, like you do, was surprised to see a caged tiger in the garage. Fortunately, he called police. Quote, we questioned them as to whether they were under the effects of the drugs or they actually saw a tiger, said Sergeant Jason Alderet of the Houston Police Department's Major Offenders Livestock Animal Cruelty Unit. There's a program for you. Law and Order, M-O-L-A-C-U. Molaku. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Law and Order, Molaku. Once again, Major Offenders Livestock Animal Cruelty Unit. All right, from KTRK, quote, The tiger was found in a, quote, 
rinky-dink cage in the garage, which was not locked, police said. The garage was secured with a screwdriver and a nylon strap, according to police. Quote, a pretty small cage inside basically a garage in a house that didn't look like it was in the best shape. So it was important that we get it out of that situation, Laura Cottingham with the city of Houston said. According to the Houston Chronicle, the tiger will be moved today to a wildlife refuge. I, I just love this story. Everything about this story is just fantastic, except for the fact that some asshole kept a tiger in a little tiny cage in a house in Houston. That is criminal, and I hope they get busted for it. But the circumstances of the tiger being discovered, and uh, I, I kind of am a little suspect. I have a feeling the people knew the tiger was there and wanted to report it and didn't just stumble upon it, didn't just say, hey, I want to smoke some weed. Let's go into that empty house and do it and, and found the tiger. I think they probably had some previous awareness of it. But, but seriously, the fact that the Houston Police Department has a major offenders livestock animal, animal cruelty unit is amazing. And, but the most amazing thing about this whole story is the quote that KTRK put out there that the tiger was found in a quote, rinky dink cage in the garage. Rinky dink. Seriously, it says rinky dink in quotes. Rinky dink is so underused. I don't remember the last time I remember using it. I remember, you know, back in the 70s or maybe the early 80s saying that something was rinky dink. But I haven't heard rinky dink in a very long time. It is time to bring rinky dink back. And that will wrap up this episode of Unrelated Things. So make sure if you want to uh, check out more, go to unrelatedthings.net where you can see all the back episodes of this um, podcast plus my other podcasts as well. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts from. And you can send me a message at unrelatedthings at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. It's Unrelated Things.